If you have your Bibles with you, if you'll take and turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3 today. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. For those of you who may have missed a couple of weeks or maybe you've never been a part of our congregation, we are studying, we are going to take on the task of teaching the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels. We're going to take the books of Matthew Mark, Luke, and John, and we're going to preach through them verse by verse, and we're going to see the earthly ministry of Jesus as he comes. Today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, but before we do that, I will remind you that as a uh, teaching on the harmony of the Gospels, if you want to write these down, the book of Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 18, and the book of Mark verses one, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, also relay the very same message that we're seeing here today with a couple of nuances. Remember the Gospels, we're harmonizing the, the proclamations of both Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So each one of those individual men have an individual perspective on the life of Jesus. And then being inspired by the Holy Spirit, they brought forth those words so that 2,000 years later, you and I could know Jesus through his word. And so we take all three of those texts, the book uh, uh, Luke 3, Mark 1, and Matthew 3, and we combine all of them together, and we get the story or the message of the Baptists. That's really tough to say. Baptists ministry. We're going to learn about John the Baptist. If you all pulled in this parking lot today, you noticed that the title of our church is Whitmarsh Island Baptist Church, right? And uh, we get our name from the Baptist. Uh, we... We submerge, submerge people in water, and we'll see that today. We're going to be introduced today to the ministry and the preaching of John the Baptist. We're going to see his role as preparing the way for a coming Messiah. We're going to see some key terms, the terms repentance and kingdom. And while I got that on my mind, for you worshipers in training, for our young people in the church our key words, the words that they learned about in Sunday school this morning and the words that we want them to listen out for in this message today are the words repent and baptism and forgiveness. Those are our key words for our worshipers in training. And in the preaching of John the Baptist and in the life of Jesus Christ through a harmony of the Gospels, two of the greatest key words that you will come across is the word repentance and kingdom, and we're going to learn what those words mean today. We're going to see a baptism for repentance. We're going to be introduced to two of Jesus' major enemies. We're going to meet the Pharisees and the Sadducees today. We're going to learn that with the coming of Christ Jesus, there is a necessary change in the cultic system. Cultic meaning the worship system of Israel. They are no longer sacrificing lambs over there. For, for 2,000 years now, the Jewish people have not had a way to sacrifice and be forgiven for their sins because Jesus ripped that veil in two and said it is finished and that system is done with and done away with. And so we see that with the coming of Christ, there is going to be a necessary change in the cultic system of the nation of Israel. We're also going to see something that we forget sometimes, that with the coming of Jesus Christ, there is judgment. So... Let's read the text together, and then we'll start breaking it down. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? 
Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our fathers, for I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. So today we're going to talk about the preaching of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a preacher. It says in our text, in verse 1 and 2, it says, In those days, in the days of the coming of the Messiah... In the wilderness, John the Baptist came. John the Baptist came saying and preaching. I am standing before you this morning and I am saying and I am preaching. What am I saying and what am I preaching? I'm saying and preaching to you the words of God. God declares his word through preachers. That's the way it works. He proclaims those truths by someone speaking those truths forth. And that was John the Baptist's mission. John the Baptist was to come and to preach. And notice he's preaching in the wilderness. Now, for those of you who have studied the Bible and have read the Old Testament, you will know that there is a 40-year period of time called the wilderness experience. Do y'all remember that? The children of Israel were saved from God's wrath by the blood of the Lamb over their doors. And God pulled them out of the land of Egypt to carry them into the promised land. And for 40 years, instead of trusting God and his promises, God placed them in the wilderness. The wilderness was a place of testing for the children of Israel. It was to test them to prove who they were. God tests us. He allows us to see who we are through our actions and reactions. And so this wilderness experience for the nation of Israel was a time of testing, and they failed the test. If you go and look at the book of Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 is called the the hall of faith. And all through that book it says, faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen. And then the apostle goes on to declare what faith is and who had faith. And he goes through a whole list of all of the Old Testament saints and how faithful they were. He talks about Abraham and he talks about Moses and he talks about Isaac. And he talks about even some rascals like Samson and some of the guys that weren't all that good, but they had faith. They believed in God and God used them to do all these mighty miracles. And if you go and you read that passage, what you'll find is it says, By faith, the children of Israel put the blood over their doors and by faith, they were delivered from Egypt. And then the next verse says, by faith, Joshua blew the trumpet and the walls of Jericho fell down. Well, see, what that's telling me is this. They were faithful to obey God and slay the lamb. And they were under the blood. And then when Joshua brought, uh, when God brought down the walls of Jericho through Joshua, that was their entrance into where? The promised land. But in that whole chapter on faith, when you go from Egypt to the promised land, there is nothing mentioned in that whole chapter about the wilderness experience. You know why? Because they were unfaithful. They were unbelieving. They didn't trust God. And so when we hear of the wilderness and we hear John the Baptist in the wilderness, it should remind us of the testings of God. God puts you in the situation and the circumstances in your life to prove to you who you are. When we willfully turn away from God and reject him and walk in our own wills and our own desires, God will remove his hands of protection from us and turn us over to our own desires to test us and to show us who we are. 
And so it's quite significant that John is not at the temple in Jerusalem preaching. He's in the wilderness. He goes out and he proclaims the truth of God in a place where there is no faith. And that word of God that he is proclaiming is going to test the people who hear it. So, he's in the wilderness as a place of testing, and he is preaching. And one of the words that he uses is a very important word. It is the word repent. When the, the prophets of God came and proclaimed the truth to the people, it was never God loves you and has a plan for your life. That was not the message of the gospel. The gospel is you are a sinner and unless you turn from sin, you will be judged by a holy, holy, holy God. Repent. And that word means to turn around. I remember a time in my life I was sitting on a porch. I had a friend stand over at my house and I was sitting out on the porch one day and I was just goofing off. And all of a sudden this little kid with a diaper and no shirt came running down the street right in front of my house and started headed right towards Highway 80. And to tell you how bad this world is that we live in, I was sitting there thinking to myself, this kid is in danger and I need to do something. But if I go out there and try to grab this kid, I might get in trouble for being like a pervert or or, or somebody trying to hurt this child. Well, luckily, the the young lady that was over at my house visiting, she was a lady, and so I said, uh, Veronica... That kid's running towards the highway, and she jumped out and ran out into the street, and she grabbed that kid and said, stop. And she took him by the hand, and he walked her down the road. And the the child took her down the road to a house, and when they got to the house, it was a place where her, the child's mom always carries the baby to go play with some other kids. And the mom at the other house recognized immediately who the kid was and called the child's mom. And the child's mom had been out in the backyard putting clothes on a clothesline, and the kid slipped out of the house to go play with his friends. But that child was running towards danger. And it was my obligation as a human being to help that kid. And someone had to yell, Stop. If any of y'all have ever seen a kid with an uh, ice pick or a. Uh, clothespin or a a paper clip running towards a a light socket, you will yell, stop. You may even go over and grab them and snatch them away from the danger. And you know what's funny is a lot of times when you yell, stop to a kid, what do they do? They keep going. They go faster. Right? They got something in their mouth. What you got in your mouth? That just makes them chew that much faster. But the reality is, is when you yell, stop to someone who is doing something they want to do, Especially a child, they'll pout, they'll cry, they scream, they ball up their fists, and they get mad at you for stopping them from doing what they're doing. The word repent, without me using a word, means this. It means to turn around. It means to realize that you are walking towards danger and to turn away from it. It is a mindset and a heart set that is willing to turn away from one thing and turn to another. I hear people all the time, I get tickled when people say, well, I did a 360 in my life. Well, if you do a 360, you're going right the same way you were going. You need to do a 180. Repentance is not a 360. And when people say, I turned my life around, that's a 360. That's going all the way around. What we need to do is we need to turn our lives back to God. The word repent means to realize that I am in eternal danger with a holy, holy, holy God. And unless I turn around, I will be destroyed. Stop. Stop living the way you're living and turn around. And this is what John was preaching. So often with our kids, we coddle them. And we, we enable them in their lifestyles. And one of the reasons why we do that, guys, is because we see ourselves and our kids. And we don't see the bad. We see the good. 
But the reality is, is we are all fallen sons of Adam and Eve, and without God's salvation, without turning away from sin and self, we will be destroyed. And somebody has to warn them. You can't coddle a child when he's got an ice pick running towards a a light socket. And you can't coddle a sinner when they are running towards hell. If you love them, you tell them the truth. And that is what John the Baptist is doing. He is preaching, repent. Stop living the way you are living and turn back to God. You will know his judgment or you will know his forgiveness. And that will be based on what you do. If you continue the way you're going, you will know his judgment and his wrath. If you repent, if you turn around, you will know his forgiveness and his mercy. And so John is in the wilderness proclaiming that message. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And by proclaiming that message, he is testing the people in the wilderness. What will they do with the words of God? Will they believe him and repent? Or will they continue on in the way that they live? And so he is saying, repent. I want you to realize something else about repentance, and it's very important. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, or if you want to look on the screen behind you, to 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 to 26. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. Do you know how many people I've tried to argue in the heaven? How many people I've tried to prove to them that God is who he says he is? And do you know how many atheists I've argued with? Atheists will sit there and argue with you and say, I don't believe in God and I hate him. Right? When an atheist says, well, what God are you serving? And you can, all you have to do is simply to the one you hate. Yes. Right? And so the reality is we're not, the servant of God is not to be coarsome, but be kind to all. And able to teach and patient when wrong. Now watch this. Look what it says next. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If, perhaps, God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. Now watch that again. With gen- this is not what it says. With gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps maybe they'll change their mind and start believing God. That's not what it says. It says that even our repentance, even our willingness to turn away from sin and self, even our willingness to repent is a gift from God. God grants you the knowledge of your sin. God grants you a conscience that feels guilty. God grants you depression and anxiety and pain and suffering and sorrow so that we will recognize who we are without him. And God grants us the strength and the willingness and the ability to turn away from those things and to turn back to him. If you are in this room today, it is for the grace of God alone. If you are in his saving Family, if you are in his saved family, if you are a child of God today, it is through God's grace that he granted you the, the understanding and the willingness and the ability to turn from sin and self and to turn to him. Now, that does not negate your responsibility. God shows you you are a sinner. God shows you that his son Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. And God shows you your nece- the necessity of you to repent, to turn, to willfully decide I'm not going to live this way anymore and turn back to him. And you have to act on the gift that he's given you. So the second term that we see in John the Baptist's preaching is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And that is something that we're going to constantly run into all through the life of Jesus. Jesus and John the Baptist both preached Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. They both preach the same thing. And the kingdom of God is basically a combination of two words. The word king and the word domain. The kingdom of God is the king's domain. All right? 
All of us in this room are only responsible to the laws of our land. We do not have to answer to the king of England. He's the king now. The queen just died, right? Well, before it was the queen's domain. She ruled the, nation, the, the island of England. Well, the reality is, is now there is a king who is in charge, and it's the king's domain. He is the one that rules and reigns. And his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, a part of our prayer that we pray to God. And the reality is, is that Jesus is on the throne right now. He is the king of kings and lord of lords, and he is ruling and reigning from above. And through the death of his son and through the power of his Holy Spirit, he is calling his citizens out of this world and into his kingdom. And we are a part of that kingdom if we are believers. If we have trusted him, we are a part of his kingdom. And it is the king's domain. He rules and reigns. And I don't want you to be fooled by the things that you see on social media and the things that you see in the news and the things that you see going on around you. Just because this world looks like it's in chaos and just because your family and your friends are lost and how they're living the wrong way. And just because this world looks like it's flipped over on its head and there's no answers, God is ruling and reigning. He is the king and his way is going to be the way. And so if you want to, you could take this world that we live in as our wilderness experience. And there are preachers going around and proclaiming the truth of God. And what are you going to do with that truth when it is proclaimed? Are you going to turn from this world and its destruction? What is that word called? Repent. Are you going to repent and turn to the kingdom of God? Or will you fade away with this world? So... I do want you to hear those two words, repent and kingdom, because especially kingdom is going to be constantly proclaimed all through the gospel messages. You're going to hear the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, right? Now, some people say that the reason why Matthew used the kingdom of heaven is because the Jewish people don't like to say the name of God. So they used the king, he, Matthew used the kingdom of heaven as not to offend the Jews. But the reality is, is right down in that same passage, Matthew uses the word God. So that's not the case. The reality is is that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is not the kingdoms. It's just one kingdom. The kingdom is in heaven. The kingdom is on earth. And through the coming of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist can proclaim what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And his son came and clothed himself in humanity and walked among us so that we could know what a king looks like. And it's wonderful to think about. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. So that's the preaching of John the Baptist. Let's look next at the prophet John the Baptist. Now, we've gone through this in the past, so I don't want to harp on it too long. But the prophet is John the Baptist in verses 3 through 4. And we'll see that John the Baptist is the one that was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 8. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there, you can. Isaiah 40, 1 through 8. If not, you can look at the screen behind you. This is a prophecy some seven, 800 years before Jesus was born about one who was going to come, who was going to declare the kingdom of God. And this is what it says. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. So he's telling Isaiah, give them comfort. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and let every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain, and let the rugged terrain be a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice calls out, then he answered, what shall I say? What shall I cry out? All flesh is grass, and its loveliness is like the flower of the field. 
The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And so there was a prophecy that one was going to come and proclaim the promises of God and make the valleys raised up and the mountains brought low, right? What would a valley be? The poor, the oppressed, the needy, the ones in the trenches. And what did he say? He would lift them up. And who are the mountains? The proud. We're going to meet the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious crowd that wore all the right suits and talked all the right talk and didn't cuss and didn't drink and didn't smoke and didn't hang around with those who do. And what is God going to do? He's going to bring them down. He's going to break their pride. He's going to put us all on a level playing field. And then we will be built on the rock that is Jesus Christ. But that proclamation comes, and there was a prophecy that said, before the Messiah comes, there's going to be a voice crying in the wilderness. And what is he going to say? If you put your trust in man, if you put your trust in this world around you, it is like grass. And the word of God is going to breathe and it's all going to be burned up. It's all going to fade away. But the promise of God will stand forever. Stop putting your trust in the world around you. Stop putting your trust in yourself. Put your trust in God and his promises and you will have eternity. And so that proclamation comes out. And so now we see that John the Baptist is the one fulfilling that prophecy. We see his garments. It says that he's wearing camel hair. Right, a camel hair coat. Now, well, in the Old Testament, a lot of the Old Testament prophets would wear camel hair, and right, and they lived in the wilderness. They lived, lived like wild men, Elijah and Elisha, and uh, and not only that, in the book of Zechariah, it tells that some of the prophets who were deceivers that were wolves would put on camel's hair clothes to to relate to the people that they were a prophet of God. But what is the point? What is the point of him? Uh, dressing this way, uh, well, one is to remind the people that he is a prophet. But it's not just your clothes that makes you a prophet. It's the words coming out of your mouth. Are you speaking forth the word of God? And John the Baptist was truly proclaiming the word of God. So not only was he wearing these strange clothes and eating all of this strange food, right? That was actually what the children of Israel were supposed to do, wasn't it? They were strange people. And they had strange dietary laws. And they were different than the rest of the world. But they had taken all of these rules, all of this this cultic system that God had given them. Instead of allowing it to point others to the light of God, they turned that light around and shined it upon themselves and said, Oh, look at me. I don't eat pork. Oh, look at me. I, I don't, you know, I pray five times a day. Oh, look at me, look at me, look at me. And the reality is, is John is out in the wilderness, not just because this is a place of testing, but he was separating himself from the cultic system down in Jerusalem because it was corrupt. And he was eating this diet. It's just, just a really quick note on locusts, right? This is actually the locusts, right? And it's big locusts. And uh, the truth of the matter is that in the book of Leviticus, the locust is actually the only insect that God allows them to eat, right? And they're not supposed to eat roaches or, thank goodness, or ants or spiders or, or anything like that. Spiders not an insect, but they had rules that they were supposed to follow. Well, a locust was actually one of the clean animals that they could actually eat. And so John the Baptist is out there in the wilderness, and he's not, so, uh, he's not having T-bone steaks, and he's not having uh, these big fancy meals with wine and all the, the, the gatherings. He's simply eating off the land. He's relying on God to provide for him, and he's eating the locusts and the honey, and that's supplementing him. He's trusting in God to provide him for what he needs. And so he's not dressed all fancy. One of the reasons that I actually enjoy being a bivocational pastor is because I honestly believe that with calluses on my hands and a little sweat on my brow, I can get way closer to somebody that I can in a suit. Now, I wear a suit here at church because I think that's the proper thing to do. But if the suit is what makes me a prophet, I'm in trouble. It's proclaiming the word of God that makes me yes. his man. You see? In the same way with John the Baptist. So he's dressing this way as a way to separate himself from that system. Yes. 
that system that had fallen into corruption. And so we see this prophet. Now we see the people. It says in verses 5 and 6 that all Jerusalem and all Judea and the Jordan River district, all of them were coming to him. Now, sometimes in the Bible, all does not mean all. All right? It don't always mean all. It doesn't mean that every single human being in Judea and around the Jordan River and in Jerusalem was coming to him. What it means is, is that this was the thing. Everybody was going out there because he was proclaiming a message that they were not getting in the temple. He was proclaiming the truth of God, and the temple had lost that truth. And so all of these people were coming out to him. And then it says this. They were being baptized in the river Jordan, in the water, in the river Jordan. Now, we're not going to talk a whole lot about baptism today because next week we're going to see the baptism of Jesus Christ. And then we're going to actually talk about the doctrine or the teachings of the sacrament of baptism or the ordinance of baptism and why we as Baptists hold to that as one of our ordinances. We'll get in depth in the baptism next week. But I do want to make a quick note that they were baptized in the Jordan River, not with the Jordan River. There's two Greek words. One is baptizo and the other is ratizo. And ratizo means to sprinkle and baptizo means to submerge. And we have a lot of family and friends that go to churches that that sprinkle their babies. And they are not in line in accordance with God's word. Now, you can argue with them until you run out of breath, and you're not going to change the fact that they're bound up in a tradition, but the reality is they are because these people were baptized in, baptized in the Jordan River. And again, I told you that Greek word means submerged. Well, if you go to a Greek Orthodox church, unfortunately, they baptize babies too. But when they baptize the baby, they dunk them down into a pool. One of my favorite pictures in the world is a picture of this priest holding one of those babies down, and he's got all four, his four legs and two arms and two legs, and he's, he's pinned on that pot trying to keep himself from being pushed down into that water. But the Greek Orthodox Church understands that the word baptizo means to be submerged. It is a picture of our death, burial, and resurrection with Christ. But these people were being baptized in the Jordan River, and watch what they were doing next. They, as... Look at your text, as they confess their sins. So who were the candidates for baptism? Who were the ones being baptized? The ones who were confessing their sins. And any of you that have children know that children are not very good at confessing their sins. Unless it's by accident, unless they slip up and say it. First of all, most babies, most children aren't aware of the consequences of right and wrong yet. All right, so these people who were being baptized, being submerged, were people who were being baptized as they confessed their sins. And if I can ever see a baby baptism, or a baby sprinkling, if you will, where that baby confesses his sins before they sprinkle him with that water, I will amen it. But you're not going to see it. Right now, listen, guys. I have friends that are Lutheran and Methodist. I have an uncle who is a Methodist pastor. I have, and I, I went to a Presbyterian church for four years, and I love those people. And I do believe with, without a doubt that many of them or most of them are truly are what they profess. They're children of God. But that doctrine of infant baptism is completely out of whack, and it's out of context with God's word. And no matter how much they want to bury it in tradition, they're wrong. I'm not sitting around trying to boast and say that we're right. What I'm trying to say is God's word clearly tells us what baptism is and who's a proper candidate for baptism, and we need to honor that. All right? I just had somebody last night ask me, uh, can, I, can you baptize me? And I said, well, we've only baptized people who make professions of faith, and we only baptize people who are going to be members of our church. And so there's, there's, we'll get into that later next week as we talk about baptism more. But so we see the people. The people are all coming out to hear the message of God. And when they hear the message of God, they receive it and they believe it. They confess their sins and then they are baptized. All right? Now let's look at the presumptuous in verses 7 through 9. It says that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were coming out to him for baptism. 
The Pharisees and the Sadducees were coming out. Now, the Pharisees are the separate ones. These are the group that wear the right robes, and they um, believe all of the scriptures, and almost all of them have memorized a very good portion of the scriptures. They know it backwards and forwards. The, this is the religious crowd. If you want to compare today, these are the deacons and the elders in the church. These are the guys that really know it, and they wear the right clothes, and they talk the right talk, and they walk the right walk. But we're going to find that many of them, not our deacons or not our elders, but many of them were actually enemies of God because they were in it to earn a righteousness of their own, not to trust in the righteousness of God. And they were making sure that everybody in the crowd knew how righteous they were. They were boasting in their works. They were boasting in their status in the church. They were boasting in who they were. Look at me, everybody. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a separate one. I don't eat that, and I don't drink that, and I worship this day, and I fast now, and I fast then, and I fast there, and I follow all of God's law. I've never committed any sin. I don't do those kind of things. And there is enemies. And the Sadducees is another group of people. And the Sadducees were the people that were in the church at that time that were, were basically the social group. The mayor and the town councilman and, and all of the people that got power from both Rome and got power by being a part of the church. And they were the uppity-ups in the crowd. They were the social elite, the movers, the one that had the money. And they were the ones that everybody looked up to. Oh, I wish I had a house like that old Sadducee John has. You know, they, they, These were the, the elites, the social elites in the church. And you'll find that the Pharisees... A lot of their faith, uh, what they believe falls in line with what you and I believe. They believe the Old Testament. They believe in life after death. They believe in angels and resurrection and things like that. Well, the Sadducees didn't believe all of those things. The Sadducees didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe in uh, the uh, angels. There was a lot of things that the Sadducees did not believe. They were in it for the social status. We've talked about this in the past, how there are a lot of people who are Jewish and Muslim and Catholic who are simply Jewish, Muslim, and Catholic because that's what the family they was born into. This is what we do. We're, we're Catholic. They don't adhere to the doctrines. They don't really believe any of it, but they wear the, the suit because that's what they were born into. And that was kind of how these Sadducees are. They're the social group. And both of these groups are going to wind up being enemies of Jesus Christ because one is going to, Jesus is going to tell them to lay down their self-righteousness and they're not going to do it. And one of them is going to lay down your social status and, and all of your things. And they're not going to do it either. So we see these two groups of presumptions. He calls them a brood of vipers, right? A nest of snakes. How many of y'all have ever seen one of those videos where somebody goes down in a cave and gets on a whole nest of rattlesnakes? That's one of the most terrifying, or goes up under somebody's house and there's a whole nest of rattlesnakes on it. That's awful to think about, right? Well, that's what he's saying. You're a nest of snakes. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? You see, they're coming out there to be baptized by John, but it's not to flee God's wrath because God's not angry at me. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I'm, I raised my family the right way. I have a good job. I don't do anything wrong. God's not mad at me, but everybody else is coming out here to be baptized. And it's the end thing. It's the new, new wave. So let's do it. And so he says, who warned you to flee? And then he says this. He says, you need to bear the fruit of repentance. So what he's saying is, is if you have truly recognized in your heart that you are a sinner and truly recognize that you need Christ and you've truly turned away from this world and turned away from yourself and turned to Christ, there's going to be fruits or evidence of that in your life. So he calls them a brood of vipers and he says, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? But you need to bear fruit of repentance. And they say to him, uh, uh, they may say, well, we have Abraham as our father. But John the Baptist said, God can raise up kids of Abraham out of these rocks right here. And I want you to see how this message echoes on into the ministry of Jesus. Turn with me really quickly to John 8, verses 39 to 45. And this is what it said. Jesus is confronting the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. They're in a big argument right in the middle of the temple. And it says, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. 
Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, then do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. Well, Pastor Steve Lawson said, to re, he said, one of the problems in our churches nowadays is that nobody wants to kill the preacher. And there's some truth to that. You see, John the Baptist is going to get his head cut off for telling the king the truth. And the reality is the world that we live in doesn't want to hear the truth. They recoil from it like a snake. And so it says, uh, but as it were, you were seeking to kill me, a man who told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham didn't do this. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said, we're not born of fornication. See, the, the rumor was Jesus was a bastard kid. And what they're saying to Jesus is, we wasn't born out of wedlock. We know who our daddy and our mama is. They're claiming that Jesus is a bastard. We have one father, God. Jesus said, if God were your father, you'd love me. For I proceeded from the forth from him and have come from God. For I have not come to do my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It's because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you wanted to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because where there is no truth in him, there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, he speaks a lie. He speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. He's calling them a den of vipers, a nest of vipers, and he's saying, you are of your father, the serpent. You are of your father's brood. That's what he's telling them. And he's calling them out. And that's, a, that's what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees a couple years later. John the Baptist is out in the wilderness preaching. He said, who told y'all to come out here? Who told you to flee the wrath to come? You're nothing but a brood of vipers, a bunch of snakes. And he's calling them out on who they are. So they are the presumptuous. They presume that because they're Abraham's kids, they get a free pass. And we know that's not true. Ishmael didn't get a pass. Esau didn't get a pass. Saul didn't get a pass. Judas didn't get a pass. And they're all sons of Abraham. Jesus said, if you really are Abraham's kids, you'll do the same thing that he did. He heard my words and he believed me. You want to know if you're a child of God? Believe him. What is one of the first steps of believing him? Repent. Repent. Turn away from sin itself and turn to his forgiveness and his love. And there will be fruits in your repentance. Now we'll finish with that. So there's a purging going on here. In his preaching, John the Baptist is purging. What do I mean to purge? It says, John the Baptist tells us in verse 10, the axe has already been laid to the root. Bear good fruit or you are going to be cut down and burnt. Do you all remember the story of how Jesus cursed the fig tree and then he went into Jerusalem and run all the people out of the temple? Well, the fig tree was a symbol of the nation of Israel. And he cursed them. Why? Because there was no fruit. The same message is being proclaimed here by John the Baptist. If you truly are a child of God, your life will be full of the fruits of God. You're relying on a worship system that points to me. And you won't believe me because your trust is in the rituals instead of the one it points to. And God is going to take his acts of justice and his acts of wrath and he's going to cut you off at the roots. Because you're dependent on yourself and you're not dependent on me. Bear good fruit or get burnt. Let's look at that. Matthew chapter 7 verses 15 to 13. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 23, I'm sorry. Now, we're going to go through this text in probably three or four months, and we'll go through it extensively. But I want you to watch what's being echoed here. 
John the Baptist was just saying the axe has been laid to the root and all of the trees that don't have any fruit on are will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now Jesus is going to tell us that and then in the, he's going to curse the fig tree because it's fruitless. And in the end of time, in the book of the Revelation, we're going to see where all of the fruitless are going to be cast into the lake of fire. So there's this message going on all through this. Be, Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Now, remember, John the Baptist is talking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They are are wolves in sheep's clothing. And Jesus is telling us, beware of those types of prophets. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. Let me say something about that really quick. You want to know why your kids pitched temper tantrums when they're babies? Have you ever pulled a pacifier out of a child's mouth? They're angry at you. They are mad. And you know where that comes from? You You might pass on your good looks and your charm and your personality to them, but you've also passed your sin on to them as well. Right? We put off the fruits from the seed and the root. Whatever the seed is and whatever the tree is, that's what kind of fruit is going to come off of it. And Jesus says that a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you will know them by their fruits. What did John the Baptist say to them? If you really are repentant, if you really have come to confess your sin and be baptized, then show it by your life. So then you will know them by your fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of God. But he who does the will of my Father is he who will enter into heaven. Now, Jesus is not teaching work salvation right there. He's not saying you get to go to heaven because because you do the will of the Father. It's because you love the Father and do his will, your obedience is a fruition of your faith. And it's your faith that gets you into heaven. Not only is it just your faith that gets you into heaven, it's your faith in Christ and what he's done. And so what he's saying is, is that a true child of God who has the spirit of God living inside of him is going to put forth the fruits of God in their life. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord. So it's not just about what you say with your mouth. The Bible teaches us is your whole conversation, your walk, your talk, your feelings, your emotions, everything that you do. And ladies and gentlemen, when you take this word and you hold it up to your spirit and to your soul, it's going to reflect to you who you really are. And if you are a liar or a thief or a drunkard or a homosexual or an immoral person or an adulterer or a liar, the scripture is going to show you that. And those people do not inherit the kingdom of God. So what are you to do? Turn away from that. Repent and turn to Christ, and what will he do? He'll take all of that away from you, and he'll share his forgiveness and his salvation with you. And he has never said no to anyone that turns to him. Never has he rejected any person that comes to him. So we've got to wind down. He says, not everyone that uh, says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but it's the one that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, and didn't we cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, you you who practice iniquity, you who practice lawlessness. See what John the Baptist is saying? Bear fruit in accordance with repentance. If you truly have repentance in your heart, then the fruit of God is going to come out in your life. And he's warning you, it's not about the clothes you wear. And it's not about who who everybody around you perceives you are. It's who God says you are. And that's going to come out in your life. It's going to come out in your conversation. So, we'll skip the talking about the baptism, but we do need to see one last thing. It says in that last verse, in verse uh, 12, I think it is. Let's see if you get that. Can you get that one? Uh, from Matthew 3, verse 12. Okay. 
His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear the threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barns, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, you and I don't relate to that nowadays, but he's talking about gathering wheat into the, floor, the threshing floor, and they would take the pitchforks, and they would throw it up into the air, and the wind would blow away all of the useless stuff that's no good, and all of the wheat would fall to the ground, and they would collect up the wheat. The wheat is the good fruit. The chaff is all of the evil and the wickedness. And what it's saying is, is that God is coming in salvation, but God is also coming in judgment. And through the proclamation of his word, he is sifting this world. That's what's happening today, right now. His promises and his word is sifting out who are his and who are not. How do you know if you're his? Because your life will be full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and meekness and self-control. How do you know you don't belong to him? Your life will be full of anger and wrath and envy and strife and jealousy and heresy and sedition and drunkenness. If you find yourself on the back end of that, repent. Turn away from those things and turn to Christ and know his forgiveness and his mercy. I'll finish with this last note and then we're done. For those of you who are in this room and you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you know you are a child of God, I want you to understand that repentance is a lifelong process. Every day, God's Holy Spirit is going to convict you of of your life where you still fall short. And he's not doing that to condemn you and judge you and cast you into hell. He's doing that so that you can see the areas of your life that need to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And even as a child of God, you are commanded to repent. Turn away from that thing, right? You're spending all your time on a computer screen and never studying God's word, repent of it, right? If you're spending all your time being busy and trying to avoid God and his love and his relationship with him, repent of it. If you're living, battling with lust in your mind, repent of it. Turn away from it. Every one of us in this room have areas of our lives that still need to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so the process of him uh, getting the good fruit out of you is a, is a lifelong deal. And we all need it. So two of the messages we've learned today is that we are to repent. Turn away from sin and self and turn to Christ. And he, you will know it's forgiven. And we've also learned that the kingdom is at hand. Jesus is sitting on the throne right now. And his kingdom is being proclaimed and his kingdom is being established in our hearts and in the world around us every day. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us together today. This is certainly not a fun lesson, but it's certainly a a necessary one. I will be the first to admit in front of every person in this room that has heard my words today. I am in just as much need of repentance as everyone here. And we pray that you continue to grant that to us to allow us to see the areas of our lives that need to change and give us the strength and the willingness to turn away from those things and to turn and to trust you. Go with us now in the coming hours and the coming days and help us to be your light in this world that so desperately needs you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.